0: Umbrage. Umbrage is a great word. That's sort of a synonym for offense or annoyance or displeasure. Well it's not used much anymore. It is usually used now in the context of taking umbrage. When the offended party feels resentment for something that someone else said or did. When taking umbrage, a person senses that their personal dignity or worth has somehow been slighted or put off. Umbrage. And while the word itself might not be used all that much anymore, the concept behind it, well, it is definitely not out of date. If you look on social media in our country, or really any media, it's almost as if taking umbrage has become our national pastime. Our fellow human beings are offending and being offended all over the place. And sometimes that umbrage is that makes sense. It's clearly defined. While other times it might leave you scratching your head as to its cause. But before we jump down that rabbit hole of why other people might be so easily offended or slighted these days, let's look ourselves in the mirror. Are you the most important person that you know? Do you know anybody else? Because if you do, you ain't. Let's look to Jesus' disciples. Let's see how they do. In Mark 10, two of Jesus' closest disciples come to him with their request to sit at the places of honor and authority in his coming kingdom. So to better understand what's going on here, let's take a step back. Let's look at the bigger picture. Set aside for the moment that James and John have come to Jesus with this request that they want him to fill without ever actually having heard it before. Just give it to us, Jesus. As Mark records, this incident here takes place as Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem with his disciples, following behind. And Jesus, he knows what waits for him once he gets there. The disciples? Not so much. They still don't get it. In the verses that immediately preceded our reading this morning, Jesus foretold his death and resurrection for the third time. And what are the disciples thinking? Well, they apparently had some assumptions in their head that they they just couldn't shake. They expected that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem to be a political messiah, the deliverer who would shake things up, that he would be the one who'd be in charge, who'd be having authority, and that they, as his close disciples, as his followers, well, they would be agents of his authority. They would have power and influence and rank. If James and John were any indication, all the disciples wanted in on that sweet action. It's not that these brothers or the rest of the disciples were ignorant. Jesus repeatedly told them that he was going to die. It's more of a matter of their own view of how things should be. preconceived notions and assumptions about God's kingdom it kept them from hearing their beloved teacher. So when James and John bring this request to Jesus, this demand really, do you think it was the other disciples getting upset, taking umbrage that the brothers asked this thing to have these places of honor and importance? Is that what gave them offense? No, they were bothered because they didn't ask for it first, and you and I, we're not so different. When you see someone doing better than you are, getting the things that you think you should when you don't, how easy is it to take umbrage? Aren't you entitled to the same level of treatment? If someone slights you, offends you, puts your dignity off, don't you have the right to take umbrage there, too, to set them straight? It's easy enough to get caught up in yourself and your own importance, focusing on those things that most affect you directly, to get caught up in your own interest. But when you do, when you're focused so intently on yourself, It's harder to see the people around you, to see and to respond to the needs of your neighbor. Self centeredness is an exile, it's separating you from the people around you, it's turning away from God. Well, Jesus came to bring you back, Jesus came to return you from exile. That's why he was going up there to Jerusalem with his disciples. Jesus wasn't going to be the political messiah that they were expecting, overturning the government or the leaders of the temple system, installing himself as the authority. He was going to overturn their assumptions and our assumptions. In Jesus' model, God's kingdom that was breaking into the world through him, the great ones serve. They're not self-centered. They're selfless. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The cup that Jesus would drink in whole is God's wrath against a selfish, self-centered humanity. And he alone could drink it. The baptism with which he would be baptized is his suffering, taking our place on the cross, but before God. As the great high priest, the innocent lamb of God, giving his body and his blood for all people, his disciples, us, everybody. As you heard today in our reading from Hebrews 5, Jesus, the high priest, is the lamb. He is the one who would stand before God as the ultimate representative of the people and he's the sacrifice, giving the gift of himself for all. Jesus gave himself in selfless service. Now St. Patrick knew something about selfless service. You might have celebrated his feast day this weekend. Anybody still wearing green? I'm red-green colorblind, so I'm not the best authority on that one. But If you know St. Patrick, how well do you know his story? St. Patrick was not Irish. He was born in Britain. We don't know exactly where, but sometime back in the 5th century. Around about the time he was 16 years old, he was captured by Irish pirates who took them back to Ireland with him as a slave. He lived there for six years as a shepherd, tending livestock until the point came where he was able to escape and make his way to a ship that carried him back to his homeland. Patrick became a priest. And later, hearing God's calling, he returned to Ireland as a missionary. Through Patrick, God worked to convert the people of Ireland, turning them to Jesus, the one who gave himself for them too. Now, it takes someone special, I think, to be a missionary, to go to places and cultures that are far off from the ones that you know. We have LCMS missionaries who are with us this weekend. You'll hear from them in a short while. They're going to serve people who have had to leave their homelands, people whom Jesus came to serve just as well. But you and I, we are missionaries too. Our congregation has, for a few years now, been especially mindful of what it means to be following Jesus, joining him on his mission as everyday missionaries. One of the questions that we have used to consider what this looks like is, what good can we do around here? We ask this question because we are looking to serve our neighbor as Jesus has served us. We go out to serve others in Jesus' name. God has prepared opportunities in each and every day for you and me to do good for our neighbor. These opportunities are out there regardless of whether you're age 9 or age 90. The opportunities God puts us before, God puts before us are to go out and sometimes to serve with our financial gifts, supporting missionaries, supporting the work of others that maybe we are not able to do ourselves. But God has also called us to hands-on service, to be agents of grace to the neighbor around us. Serve that neighbor with the skills and abilities that God has given to you. Serve with your hands in helping someone clean up their yard or a home. Serve with your ears in listening to the person who needs it. Serve with your mouth in speaking the words of the peace that comes from Jesus. Service isn't meant to be a burden. It's a gift that you give to somebody. More accurately, it is a gift that God gives through you as his agent. There's one part of the liturgies that sometimes we use here that has long struck me in the wrong way, just a little bit. At the close of the service, in the sending, sometimes you will hear the officiant or the liturgist say, Go in peace, serve the Lord. How do you respond? Well, some of you respond that, okay. But that phrase, that go in peace, serve the Lord, is kind of stark. For me, it is coming across in kind of a dissonant way, finishing our time with God in the law instead of the gospel. In our Latin midweek services, though, there's a slightly different sending, a different closing with a phrasing that I think makes a world of difference. Go in peace as you serve the Lord. Peace and service are connected. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Whoever be first among you must be slave of all. You serve the Lord as you serve the people that God has put before you. He doesn't need your service. Rather, he calls his people to go out and share the grace that he's given. In the kingdom that Jesus brings, the kingdom of which you are a part, greatness is lived out in service. As you serve others, you are delivering the peace that comes from God to your neighbor. Today, God is at work to turn you from self to service. God is at work to bring you home from the exile of selfishness. God is at work to bless the world through you. Go in peace as you serve the Lord. Amen.